I'm pretty proud of this picture. Um, I want to talk about the very second Christmas. I just want you to see that up in the corner, Santa Claus is leaving town. He's not coming to town, and Jesus is coming to town. I just like it. Figured out how to do that. I didn't have to use AI. All right, so we're going to continue on with the Advent theme today. Um, We've been going through Messianic Psalms this year as part of the Advent. We took a list of Messianic Psalms um, that they had suggested, and some of them are pretty hardcore for the birth of Christ story, but I I like them. And I especially like the one I'm going to go into today. Um, In the Psalms, there's about 20 Messianic Psalms, and uh, Psalm 2 is the first that you'll find as you start flipping through your verse um, or through your Bible there. Psalms 2 is quoted seven times in the New Testament. It's not quoted as much as Psalms 110, which we talked about a couple weeks ago. Um, Oh, there it just jumped up. Okay. Um, And what I like about this and what I like about a little bit about Psalm 110 is it's it's a double Christmas song. And what I mean by that is that it is talking about both of Jesus' comings. And I think as we we did the Christmas story last week... um, Tabitha went through the Christmas story last week. I really want to look a little bit at the second, the very second Christmas, because everybody likes to write books about the very first Christmas. This is going to be a sermon about the very second Christmas. Um, And it's going to be a little bit about Jesus coming back and what he's going to do when he comes back and what we can expect then. Um, It's not as hard to see Jesus when he comes back from what we can gather as it was for people to figure it out the first time. Um, So the first thing we're going to do is just read the psalm. Psalm 2 uh, is, is structured in four stanzas, and each stanza seems to be speaking from a different voice. And we're going to talk about the author later, because Peter has an opinion on who authored this. But in the Bible, it'll just say Psalm 2, something else. It doesn't typically say it's a Psalm of David when it, in front of it. Um, Psalm 2, why do the nations rage or noisily assemble in the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. So what we see here in the first stanza is chaos and turmoil on earth and governmental bodies, kings of the earth and rulers taking counsel against Yahweh and against his anointed. So this is one of those passages in the Old Testament, where we're getting kind of this two powers in heaven idea. So at this point, they're realizing there is this anointed one, whom that Messiah. And whether he is going to be God as man or a super hyper-godly man, we don't know what, exactly what they thought. But as we uncover more, we figure out more of what they thought as far as the old Hebrews. Um, but this is clearly talking about that word anointed is where we get our word Messiah. You could put Messiah in there. You could put his Christ. You could, that's another, that's the, the Greek way of doing it, against the Lord and his Christ. So it's kind of, this is up front, right away in the psalm, that this is about both. Um, so you have them setting themselves up against a God and wanting to burst out of God's rule and order. I feel like this could be today, as it probably could have been anywhere in the last, but it seems like more and more, more and more against the order of things. Um, Psalm 2.4, he, he who sits in the heavens, so we're talking about Yahweh here, he who sits in the heavens laughs, and the Lord holds them in derision. 
Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. So here we're switching voice. This is our third stanza. Here we're switching voice again. And I don't really know whose voice. I'm guessing this is supposed to be David's voice. This is what he's hearing. And I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. So he's speaking prophetically. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break or rule, depending on what translation you're looking at, them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. This would have been a great sermon illustration to bring in an aluminum baseball bat and a pot and let one of the kids break a pot for Christmas and just turn it into a transit. We should have, I should have done that now that I'm looking at this. Maybe like a rod of iron. Maybe it should be like a crowbar. That would be even more. But that's what he's going to do. That's what he's going to do. So that's a good image to have in your minds. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them or rule them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So what they're doing here is, again, addressing the kings and the rulers. I'll pause on the rulers for a minute. I'm kind of thinking that this is all earthly, but there might be spiritual. Some people I've read, it's kind of a scholar's debate whether the kings is supposed to represent the earthly rulers and then the rulers are talking about the spiritual rulers. And it's kind of in debate what that means. I think it works either way, and probably that's the reality of it either way. Um, but they're, they're addressing royalty and kings, and the whole idea of kissing the sun is, I, when I read it with the king connotation, I kind of get like you kiss the signet and you bow, you kiss the signet ring, you pledge loyalty to the king. And uh, so that's the psalm. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. And so when I'm reading this, my feelings I get from it, um, definitely get Psalm 110 vibes. And we'll go through that. Remember three weeks ago, Bree did Psalm 110. That was her Advent Psalm. And we'll reread that just in, to like look at the similarities between the two. Um, it's provocative in that you can see things happening with the first coming and you can see things happening with the second coming. And there are possibly things that we can read that we can are both things that Jesus will do or did and will do at the same time. Uh, Peter also uses this passage, and Peter uses it in a way that some of it's already been fulfilled. So let's look at Acts 4. When they were released, well, let's, let's give a little context to this first. When they were released, this is, this is Acts 4. This is where um, Peter and the apostles get taken in for questioning by uh, the Jewish rulers, both Pharisees or the Sadducees, the Sahedrin. They're, they're questioning them about this. Uh, it was the Pharisees, I think, were the ones, uh, or the Sadducees were very upset because they were preaching a resurrection, which goes against the Sadducee teaching. So they're out there preaching about Jesus resurrecting and people having life after death. And that's Sadducees are totally against that, whereas the Pharisees believe in the afterlife. There's that whole thing going on. So not only are they preaching about this Jesus dude, but this Jesus dude and what he's done is going directly against the whole thing that split them in two in the first place. So they're extra psyched about it. Um, but they, they release them. They figure out they can't do anything to them. 
They're in, you know, they're in the courtyard. There's people around. People are witnessing the miracles. They know something's going on. They have to release them. They're just like, we'll release you, but you got to shut up. And when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they had heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. So here we go. They're right there. That's who they think wrote the psalm. I'm good with that. Peter's, that's what Peter's thinking, because Peter is the one talking through here. I'm good with it. So Psalm 2, written by David, through the Holy Spirit. Puts everything into context. Why did the Gentiles rage, and the people's plot in vain, and the kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed? For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So this is like our mini Acts 2. A lot of people just skip over this. But it is, it is kind of a mini Acts 2 happening again. This is why things, that's tough. When you look at the Bible and it says, talk, talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit, we know everybody got filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts 2. But then in Acts 4, the room is shaking again, and then they, it says they get filled with the Holy Spirit again. That's why people are like, I don't know exactly how to teach that, what to go with that. But that's a side note. All right, so Peter is saying, Inspired by the Holy Spirit, King David wrote Psalm 2. Um, I'm thinking Psalm 110 fits under the same thing, but let's look at both of these as they talk about the end. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. All right, when did Jesus go to sit at the right hand of God? Yeah, after he ascended. So this, is, so this psalm is already talking about things that, are, that have happened then, so don't, it's not all chronological. Uh, the Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. So there's your rod of iron. Talking about, again, using Zion. Uh, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. I cannot find a scholar that's willing to stake what dew of your youth will be yours means. Which is okay. We just don't know what it means. And a lot of your translations will even put by it. Nobody knows what this means. So we could, just, we could just do what people do and make stuff up. So um, Mount Zion is a mountain, and dew of the youth will be yours. Jesus was drinking Mountain Dew in his youth. There we go. It's probably not what it means, but that's what people do sometimes. Uh, four, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. So there's your shattering of the vessels. Just a good chance. Micah would have probably loved to have shattered pottery wherever Micah's at. That would have been a good Micah job. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. So you got the similarities there. Chiefs of the kings over the earth. It's repeating the same thing. So some of this has happened, right? Some of this has happened. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God. 
Has Jesus filled up the nations with corpses from the final battle? No. That is yet to come. This is like, the second coming is just so different from the first coming. So different. No Christmas trees. Um, no mangers. It's just different. And then now let's actually read the second Christmas story and see how much of this, now we can read back into the Psalms to see what the Psalms were prophesying about. He is coming back again, but not as a baby. So Revelation 19.11, And then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like the flames of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. And he is clothed in the robe, dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in the fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We'll continue reading. I just, this reminds me of when I was a kid, when people would try to justify tattoos. Not that there's anything wrong with tattoos. That's between you and God. I'm not going to go there. But a lot of people would be like, when Jesus comes back, he's got a tattoo on his thigh. That's what that means and says. So I just always like that because I'm not sure if that's the right translation of it. But whatever works for you, I guess. And then I saw an angel standing in the sun. And with a loud voice, he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead. Come gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. I'd like to pause there because I just realized they're using the words mighty men, which in the Septuagint sometimes is giants and stuff. So I kind of, I need to go back and look at the, the Greek on that. That's interesting. Maybe nothing. And I saw a beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet, who in its presence had done the signs by which he had deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. So that is the second Christmas story. It's much different than the first Christmas story. But... This is the Christmas story I really want to see. I really want this. I think we need this. And that's what Psalm 2 and Psalm 110 always take me. I can see see the coming in the Psalms, but when I look at these Psalms, it's, you know, the advent to come. And uh, that's what I want. That's my Christmas story that I want. Um, I do think this is the only way we get peace on earth. This is our only hope physical, political, peace on earth. And I think that's what, when the angels are sitting there singing at the advent of Jesus coming, this is the thing they still sing about with their peace. And uh, just keeping it short today, Revelation twenty-two twenty: he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon, talking about Jesus. Amen, come Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all the saints. Amen. And so as we just think about this, as we think about Psalm 2, 
We think about what's yet to come. We think about what he did and just putting that in, in priority of what it's like for us to live in the kingdom that's here but not yet. So Jesus is sitting at the right hand. He's, at, he's there with the throne. He has not physically came again. And we know that the nations, spiritually the nations trembled with the, the ascension of Christ and the sitting, seating of the, at the right hand. Those, those spiritual rulers are under him. They no longer have that authority. He's broken their authority. And, uh, but they're still around. They're still around. And when he comes back a second time, that's when it's done. That's when it's finished. That's when the lake of fire matters. That's when those spiritual entities become annihilated. And uh, however that works with our physical rulers, the spiritual rulers and tandem of how all that works, I don't know, but people will pay the price. And um, that's what I look forward to. Not in a mean, like, I want them all to burn in hell type way. That's not what I'm, I'm saying. But I'm, I'm looking forward to the fact that you watch our news, you watch the wars around the world. You know, those pictures of dead children always tug my heart. I just want it to end. I just want it to end. Probably my desire to have that stuff end and be done, it's probably a lot like the Hebrews' desire for that Messiah to come, free them up, allow them to live. That's that, be God's nation again. And uh, come Lord Jesus. That's just where I'm at. And to me, this Christmas... That's just my prayer. Come, Lord Jesus. Come again, Jesus. We, uh, I, don't want to, I don't want to minimize his first coming at all. And I recognize his first coming, but um, we just got to think about that second coming. We got to think about, we've got the time. He hasn't come yet, but we're supposed to pray, come, Lord Jesus. But at the same time, we need to make sure the Great Commission is, is happening. And so Christmas for me is thinking about the Great Commission and thinking about the second coming of Christ. And that's what Christmas is to me, as the songs always like to say. Um, so that's all I'm going to do today. I'll get you out of here early. I just want to pray. Dear Lord, again, we thank you for the first coming. Yahweh, we thank you for your perfect plan. And... Uh, in the same way that uh, the evil rulers, physical and spiritual, did not know what was happening with the first coming of Christ, I'm pretty confident that we all have no clue what's happening with the second. But Lord, we cry out for the second. However you do it, however it is to be done, Lord, just come. Jesus, I don't know your timing, but help us to do your work until that time. Lord, we want your peace and we want your love not just in the church but we want it all over the earth with all of creation in perfection, in wholeness. That's only you, Lord. I just ask, I pray for this church and other churches that we would just be ready. 
be doing the things that you've asked us to do, the things Holy Spirit tells us to do, those of us that remain loyal to Yahweh, that we would be doing your things. So Jesus, thank you again for taking on the flesh, becoming one of those mudball creatures. Lord, we thank you ahead of time for what you're going to do when you come back once again. We love you. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. In your name we pray, Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. The Lord be gracious unto you. Amen.